This morning scripture is from the book of Romans chapter 6 verses 15 to 23. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness i'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness When you were slaves to sin you were free from the control of righteousness what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of those things result in death but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of god the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord I can hardly believe it but in one way or another I have been preaching since the mid 1970s I cannot believe that I'm not old but I know I don't look it thank you for agreeing to that thank you you can nod your head and that will be of great encouragement nobody's nodding their head oh thank you Mila Some of the words that I have been free to use back in the 1970s I dare not use them today not because there's anything inherently wrong with those words I just don't want people to get distracted from the message of the gospel because some of the words that we might have used back in the 1970s they are offensive today Now when I worked for a previous organization a Christian organization and would address my staff or provide training there was one particular individual who would always point out to me that the colors that I was using in my PowerPoint I shouldn't be using them because it wasn't helpful for anyone who had uh, who was visually impaired or had dyslexia the fact that there was only about half a dozen of them there all of them had good eyesight and none of them had dyslexia but nevertheless she felt it was her duty to point out to me that i shouldn't be using these particular colors not only had she a problem with colors but sometimes she would point out to me the latest words that i should not be using and i sort of thought well i'll try and get the big ones out of the way and not use them but all this other stuff i just cannot keep up with it uh there there just there seems to be some little committee somewhere sitting every day every week uh banning another word in case somebody in the back end of nowhere gets upset about it now having said all of that i'm going to use a word this morning that's going to upset people not because i want to upset you but because paul uses that word now it's not that it was that it is upsetting today and it wasn't upsetting back then it was more upsetting back then when paul used it 
than it will be today. It's still an offensive word today, but it would have been more offensive back then. And the term actually is the word slave. A large group of people in the church of Rome, they were either slaves or had recently been freed from slavery. And the single word that is going to offend most of them is this word slave. And even those people in the church in Rome that were, had never been slaves, they would have been sensitive to not use that term. And they were probably shocked when they heard Paul talk about slaves. And actually not just talking about slaves, but calling the people that he was writing to slaves. Even the Jews were appalled and offended when the Lord Jesus Christ called them slaves. In, Joel, in John's Gospel, the Jews answered him he, and, and said to Jesus, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Hello? Were you in Egypt at any time? Were you slaves when you... Oh, sort of collective amnesia. They have forgotten that. How can you say, they said to Jesus, that we can be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, sometimes we do need to be shocked Shocked into paying attention. There's lots of shocks that are actually built into the Bible. And if we read it carefully and we read it slowly and thoughtfully, we would actually stop and think, that doesn't make sense. But we just have read it so many times, we read on through without being shocked. Here, Paul is shocking the people by telling them that, our sla that they are slaves. I can see them bristle in their, in their seats as they're listening to this. There are those who really are slaves. There are those who have been able to save up some money and buy their freedom. And they're probably the ones that are the most touchy. And then there are the others who have never been slaves and they wouldn't dare use the S word in case it offended their brothers and sisters in Christ. But Paul jumps in with the shocking message that there is no such thing as absolute freedom for anyone. We are all slaves. No person is free to do everything that they want to do. Only God is free and all other people are limited are enslaved by someone or something. Some people are enslaved to their work. They have borrowed so much money to pay for a house, a car, or for education for their children that they dare not upset their boss in their, because they're afraid of losing their well-paid job because they have got so much debt that they, that, that they need to uh, maintain. Some are enslaved to their position of influence and they will do anything to protect that position. 
They will lie. They will scheme. They will deceive in order to protect their position. Some people are enslaved to habits. Gerald was showing us a, a, a picture of, uh, of, of smoking camel cigar, uh, cigarettes, not cigars, camel cigarettes. And uh, he, he must have really been scraping the barrel to get that one out. He's, you're probably not even old enough yourself to, uh, to remember that. Um, but, but yet, people can be enslaved to their habits, the habit of smoking, the habit of drinking, the habit of drugs. And they live to indulge that habit. We obey the things that enslave us. The question that we have to answer this morning is, whose slave are you? You are somebody's slave. Now, the the people who object today to statues that are around the country or to posters or to some book or to some issue, uh, to poetry, to art, there's always somebody out there that is enraged about something. How long is it going to be before someone gets enraged about the book of Romans and, and, and says, how dare this man Paul talk about slaves? But yet there is a truth here that every single one of us, we are enslaved. Now, how does Paul arrive at this subject of slavery, this discussion about slavery. These verses here, verses 15 to 23, they actually seem to read quite similar to, to verses 1 to 14. As a matter of fact, if you had a, a, a table with the, the first 14 verses uh, down one side and the next 15 to 23 down the other side, you would see, hey, that looks as if he's just repeating himself. So there's a lot of stuff that they have in common. And if you, uh, if you have... Uh, access to John Stott's John Stott, Stott's commentary on Romans, not John Stott. I haven't written that commentary yet. But if you read John Stott's commentary, you will see how he actually lists the parallel between 1 to 14 and 15 to 23. In verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And then in verse 15, What then, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. And that's very similar to what you have there in in verse 1 and verse 2. In the first 14 verses, Paul is showing us that we do not continue in sin because we just happen to be under grace. Here he reasons that just because we are not under the law, that does not give us reason to continue to sin. There were those who vigorously argued that if we do not come under the law, then that opens up the floodgates and that allows us to participate in all kinds of sin. And Paul counters that argument by arguing that the law does not lead to righteousness because the law cannot produce righteousness in anyone. The law can only condemn us. It is not that the law is now abandoned. It is only because we are delivered from the law and its condemnation through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ that we can now be empowered to keep the law. It's not that the law is abandoned. Paul is saying 
that the law cannot save you, the law cannot make you righteous. And then there were some people that were then saying, well, if it cannot make us righteous, let's just throw it out. Let's do away with it. And Paul says, no, because we are in union with Christ, this is God's law, the law that God has given. It's not a hateful thing. It is not an angry thing. The law is God's wise way for us to live. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my law. You will keep what I have said. It's only because that we have been delivered from the law and its condemnation through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ that we are now empowered to keep uh, what the law requires of us. We are not made righteous by the law, but because we are made righteous through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have had our desires changed. God has written his law upon our hearts and has caused us to want to do things God's way. There was another group of people who came from what appears to be the opposite direction. They rejected the law as a way of salvation, which they were, of course, right to do, but they went on then to reject the law as an expression of how the Christian should live. If we are saved, how should we then live? It's not that we transfer from trusting in Christ to then trusting in our own good works to stay in the faith. We always are trusting in Christ. We need the grace of God. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live for God and to keep his word. But these people were saying, we will abandon the law because it did not make us right with Christ and it doesn't help us to actually live for Christ. Paul is dealing with both of these objections those who would have kept the law in order to try to be right with God and those who are going to abandon the law completely. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no no means. We shall not continue to sin because now that we are in Christ, we are not slaves to sin. We are not enslaved by sin. To subject ourselves to sin is to surrender to the slavery of sin. We have been delivered from that mastery. We have been delivered from slavery to sin. And if we continue to sin, then we are returning again. It's like going back to Egypt. It's like going back into slavery. We go back to the thing that we have been saved from. Now, of course, today, sin is not seen or described as as slavery. To sin and to live sinful lifestyles today by our society, that is promoted as the very essence of freedom. The very essence of liberty. The very essence of being a mature and adult population. To be progressive. And to be in tune with modern British values is to submit 
to the slavery of sin. Sinful modern lifestyles are packaged and sold as something that is progressive. That is a lie, and it is a lie that is damaging so many people. It is damaging their bodies, it is damaging their minds, and it is certainly damaging their souls. It's not good for us mentally, it's not good for our emotions, it's not good for us physically, and yet we live with an increase of mental health issues. We live with a gross unhappiness and misery, broken relationships, cheating and dishonesty, and a lack of integrity. Attaching the words freedom and liberation to sin does not provide the emancipation that it promises to deliver. Sin always is enslavement and bondage. We become slaves to our own desires and our own passions. Giving in does not produce the well-rounded life that it appears to offer The chattering middle classes who will come on our radios and on our televisions and, and talk about the progressiveness and the modernness of accepting so many different styles of relationships and so different and so many different kinds of families that's against the order that God has set out in his word do they feel that they are brighter than God that they are smarter than God that they have more wisdom than God it's to damage ourselves to go against what God has said in his word. It is not helpful. It does not build us up. It is not fruitful. It is not beneficial. We don't continue to sin because the destiny to sin is death. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience which leads to righteousness what benefit did you reap at the time at that time from the things you not, are now ashamed of those things that result in death verse 23 also says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life here is an enslavement to sin that leads to death it's not helpful we it it kills us when we are alive it it kills our emotional life it kills our physical life it kills our spiritual life death is the ultimate destiny of sin and that is a destiny that we have been delivered from why go back then to that pathway that leads to death it's inconceivable that we should step onto that pathway ever again we should not continue to sin because we have been set free from the tyranny of the slavery of sin paul said but thanks be to god that though you used to be though you used to be slaves to sin you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching has now claimed your allegiance you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness there we are 
you are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Remember the question we opened with? Whose slave are you? A slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? There, there is no other choice. This is very much a binary issue. It is either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. We should not continue to sin because we are now slaves to a new master. We have become slaves to righteousness, slaves of God. We are under new management. We have a new and a living way. This new slavery offers us freedom. We are now free to live as God designed us to live. Sin as a master is always a bad master. It harms us. It steals our liberty. Sin is a cruel master and only ever delivers harm and hurt and brings us into judgment. Now God as our master works everything for our good and our well-being. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This new freedom is the freedom to do the right thing. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Make me a slave, and then I shall be free. Make me a slave, and then I shall be free. The Lord is the best master to serve. Sin is the worst master. Now this message infuriates the modern day activists who promote sinful lifestyle. They boast and they brag about their way of life. They rage against the biblical teaching, calling it bigoted, calling it intolerant, calling it unloving and uncaring. Go out there, please, and look at the misery that your teaching has brought upon many people in this world, and you will see that it is you who are intolerant, it is you who are unloving, it is you who are uncaring. God's way is the way of love, it is the way of righteousness. It is a slavery that is, is easier to follow Make me a slave and then I shall be free. These people, through their cruelty and misery, they bring harm to our children. They break down our society. They are slaves to their own ideology and they would enslave the rest of society. God wants us to be free. He wants us to obey, obedience to God, living in a righteous way, living in a way that is the wise way to live. It's the function of a slave to be obedient to their master. Our new master is God, and we willingly and slavishly obey God 
because he has loved us with an everlasting love. He has forgiven us for our sins. He has given us a place in his family. Faith and obedience go together. During the Reformation, just as today, uh, people often thought of faith as a mere casual acceptance of the truth. The Reformers, on the other hand, recognized three essential components of saving faith. First of all, there was the content of faith. Then, secondly, there is the giving of our assent to that content. And thirdly, there is trusting in the object of faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith always has an object, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus, we must first know something about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that content is often referred to as the faith. The faith is what we believe. It is what the Bible teaches and it is delivered to the people through the church's teaching ministry. But knowing a body of content, however, is not the same thing as and is not enough for saving faith. It is part of it, but it is not all of it. We must also affirm the truth of our content. We must affirm that Jesus Christ is God. We must affirm that God is one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Somehow, we don't want to face the fact that there are those people who claim to have, in a very vague way, a faith. Oh, I think he has a faith. Or we think she has a faith. That faith has little or no content. It does not contain the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. They may have a faith in some kind of God, in some kind of spirituality, in some kind of religion. But if that faith is not a faith in Jesus Christ, it is no faith at all. It does not help. As a matter of fact, it damns because it is part of that enslavement to sin. Many people know something about Christianity, but they do not believe that it is true. Saving faith requires the giving of assent to the content of what the gospel is, what the gospel teaches. But finally, thirdly, even knowing the facts and believing those facts to be true, that is not enough in themselves to make us Christians. Because demons affirm the truth of what God has said, but they do not trust in God. They do not trust in Jesus Christ. To be true faith, in the way that the Bible describes it, describes it we must entrust ourselves into the hands of Christ. I believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. I affirm that I believe that that is the Word of God. But more than that, I entrust my soul to that. I hand myself over to be enslaved to my God because he has saved me through Jesus Christ. I am trusting Christ in my life. I am trusting him for eternity. I am trusting him as I finally uh, give way to life itself and go through death. 
I am trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul now challenges us with a choice. Choose now this day whom you will serve. He said in verse 19, I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. In order to get his message across, Paul has been using an analogy from everyday life. We need this kind of practical everyday contrast so that we can really get what it is that Paul is saying to us. He says that he has done this because of our limitations. What are our limitations? I think our greatest limitation is the degree to which we require convincing. What is going to really convince me to give up the habit of sinning? We were born into the slavery of sin, and so we naturally and we instinctively offer ourselves as slaves to impurity. That slavery word is a shocking word to the Romans. So many of them had lived a good part of their lives enslaved. And it is offensive to them that Paul now uses this word. But yet he has to use it because he wants to convince them that the state of being enslaved to sin is a bad state to be in. And that because we are now in Christ, we are now enslaved to righteousness. We are slaves to righteousness, which leads to obedience, which leads to holiness. Now that you are in Christ, offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness that leads to holiness. Holiness is that inner state of purity. Enslavement to sin produces a kind of filth and guilt and self-loathing about the kind of person that sin has made us into. Enslavement to righteousness produces holy character and a life that is pleasing to God. That's the pathway that leads to spiritual growth and to development as Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into Christ's image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Whose slave are you? The Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross, he died in order that we might be free from being enslaved to, to sin. He died in order to free us. And, and we can easily come to the Lord's table and say, Lord, make me a slave and then I shall be free. How can I be free? Who has paid the ransom to deliver me from this bondage in the slavery of sin. 
Christ has paid the price. On his body, upon the tree. Shedding his precious blood. In order that we might be redeemed. What does redeemed mean? It means to be bought out of the slave market of sin. A ransom has been paid. A price has been paid. And here the Lord's table, as we come to this table, it reminds us of the the, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ bids us come to his table. Not as slaves that dread that bondage, but as people who have been redeemed as a people who lovingly and voluntarily give ourselves as slaves to righteousness because we have been loved with an everlasting love and we have been redeemed. Coming to the Lord's table brings us back to the very center of our redemption. It is this that has saved us. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. His burial and resurrection. His ascension into heaven. We have been redeemed. And as his slaves, he says now, gather around my table as my children. As sons and daughters of God, we are the children of God. And we have the right to call ourselves so. We have the authority to call ourselves the children of God because we have been redeemed into a wonderful enslavement to righteousness that leads to holiness, which is a purity that God accepts because of the Lord Jesus Christ.